Matthew chapter 16 is, uh, is such a very powerful chapter full of revelation. And uh, it's one of my favorite chapters when dealing with uh, the way that Jesus knows how to form questions. And uh, he looks at, at his disciples and uh, we're going to start today in the uh, 13th verse when Jesus came. And to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do men say that I am? Have you been listening to people around you? What do, think, what do, what do people think about me? I know how you feel because you walk with me, but what are other people saying? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist. Some say thou art Elias. There's some that even think you're Jeremiah. Some that think you're one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye? Now I know you've heard what they think about me. Who do you believe that I am? What is your personal revelation and understanding of who I am? And loudmouth Simon Peter speaks up. And he said, well, duh. You're the Messiah. Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my Church. Now I know sometimes things get lost in the translation uh, in the minds of some people. So if you go back in the Greek of this language, the word uh, church is ecclesia. It's singular. It means there is one church. One church. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, the church. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I am going to build my church on the revelation of who I am. That's how you know it's my church, because it's built on the revelation of who I am. And that church, the gates of hell, cannot prevail against. Amen. There's a lot of people that are looking for a safe place to be in this world. It's a big deal. The other day, my wife and I were uh, in Florida. Our family was in Florida. And we walked by a firehouse that had recently put in a baby drawer where they can drop children off. And put them there and they had the sign up on, on the wall. This is a safe place. It's a safe place. And uh, 
people are looking for a way to feel safe and secure. If you are uh, domestically abused, as you drive through your city, if you see one of those yellow signs with black lettering on it that says safe place, you know that's a place that you can walk inside the doors and you'll be protected. But I want to tell you what I believe with all my heart today. You are in a safe place. You are in a safe place. Hallelujah. You're in a safe place. You may be seated in Jesus' name. You are in a safe place. Matthew 16 is so powerful. It's truly the testing of some things that I, I, don't, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to come across whatsoever as a, as a pessimist or derogatory. But I want to tell you that God doesn't just give power to anybody. He doesn't just give authority to anybody. You say, well, Pastor Lucifer, Satan, he has authority. He does. But it's only the authority that's given to him. Some of us believe that the devil has the ability to read our minds, to know the thought and the intent of our heart, and he doesn't. The only authority that he has is what we release to him to have in our life. Now, I don't, I don't want you drowning in the deep end here because I'm, I'm going to swim in the shallow end for just a minute. But this is such a powerful revelation for you to catch on to because he does not have access to your thoughts. So this means that the only way he knows you ever thought of giving up is when you speak it. When you open up your mouth and say, I'm tired of trying. You just gave him access to the things that only God should know about. Well, are you saying then, Pastor, that when I pray, I shouldn't say those things? No, 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 because your prayer closet is a sealed room. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? When you're praying to the master, the angels of the Lord, I know you can't see this. But the angels of the Lord stand around that prayer meeting. That's why the closest you can be to God is in prayer. Because while you're talking to him, the devil only wishes that he could get close enough to you to understand what you're saying to the Lord. And furthermore, there are some things in your prayer that God doesn't even want the angels to know. So when you start praying in the Holy Ghost, And you begin to pray in tongues in another language. The Bible said that the angels long to look into those things. And while you're praying to God in the Holy Ghost, that's why you ought to do it every day. When you're praying to God in the Holy Ghost, the only one that understands what you're saying is the Spirit of God. And God himself bears witness with what you're saying. And when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, 
He is dispatching those angels. They're saying, where we're going? What are we doing? He's saying, what they just prayed through, I'm going to give you orders to go. And he begins to dispatch angels from that prayer meeting. I'm telling somebody this morning that the devil only wishes he could access your prayer life. He only wishes he could access your thoughts, your dreams, your aspirations. He gets a lot of credit. He really does. He gets a lot of credit. Matter of fact, don't take this wrong, but sometimes I feel sorry for the poor guy. Because he gets blamed for things that humans don't want to be man enough to take the blame for. <laughs> I've preached this and said this a lot through the years, but I, I, I think... It's something we should never forget. Your greatest battle in your life is not the devil. It's you. I can leave here today and tie myself on a good drunk and it wouldn't take much. If I just smell it, I get sick. I could tie myself on a good drunk today. Lose my wife and my ministry in this church. Get arrested pulled over for drunk driving, get put in jail, go bankrupt, hiring a lawyer. And there'd be people that look and say, man, the devil destroyed that man's life. No, he didn't. I destroyed my life. I can walk out of my wife and my children. And people would say, oh, how sad. He let the devil destroy his marriage. No, I didn't. I destroyed my marriage. That was my choice. That's why when people fall down and they make mistakes, I don't believe it was the devil that made them do it. Pastor, why would you say that? It makes them feel bad. No, no, no. Wait till I get to where I'm going right here. I want to encourage somebody. This ought to make you feel good to know that if you're the one that made yourself fall down, you're the one that can choose to get back up today. And the devil can't keep you down. The devil can't hold you down. Look, if you made a mistake, let the mistake be a mistake. But go ahead and let God be God. Get back up again. Rise up off of your feet. Let God heal you. Amen. Now, there are some naive pastors that pastor perfect churches. I said that as nice as I could. Are you proud of me, bro? There are some naive pastors that pastor perfect churches. If you're slick at all, you're picking up on what I'm saying. Because their church ain't perfect and they're naive if they believe it is. Come on, somebody. But I'm glad that I pastor a human church. Because when you pastor a human church, it's a place where mercy meets you every week. This is a house of God where broken people can walk through the back doors of the church and say, man, I haven't, I haven't been what I should have been this week. But just before you let that out of your mouth, let me tell you this morning, mercy will meet you here today. Oh, yeah. There's mercy in the house. Y'all, I don't know how to explain this, and this is just kind of a preview into the window of my mind right now. There is such a liberty in the Holy Ghost in this place this morning. There is such a freedom to preach in here right now. 
I know some of you think that spirits of doubt and confusion or whatever are holding your mind captive. Let me just set your mind at ease today. There ain't a devil in this house. There is so much liberty in the Holy Ghost in this place. I know you may think that the spirits of darkness are oppression. Not in this house right now. There is liberty in the Holy Ghost right now, and I just want you to see into that. If you want to be free, you can be free in here right now this morning. Before I finish preaching, you can be free. There is enough Holy Ghost in here to set you free. Man, I feel it here. Bishop, I almost want to let you preach for a minute so you can feel it. It feels good up here. Praise God, but I'm not giving you the microphone. If they hear a real preacher this morning, I'll never get it back. The first institution that God ever created was family. He created a man and a woman. They were family. The next most powerful institution that God ever created was the church. He made man in his image. And when man messed up and allowed sin to enter into the picture, The Lord cleaned up a mess that he did not make by purchasing a church. So let me help you with something right here today. I know that some people look at churches as a community club, a place of gathering for fellowship, friendship, and all that. Fellowship's important. But the intention of the church and its sole purpose was not just to have a community club together. If that's what you really want, then go find a community club where you can gather together. But the reason why we come together in faith as a body in this place is because not only is the church or what the church offers, not the institution itself, but what this church preaches, teaches, and offers, not only is it an epidemic fixer, not only is it the cure for the disease of sin, It's the only way to fix it. It's the only way. In the book of Romans, the scripture is speaking of those that are lost to the church that's saved. And ask the question, how can they be saved without a voice to speak to them? He said, faith cometh By hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. How can they be saved without a preacher? But I want to tell you that when Paul wrote that letter to the Roman church, he was not talking about a television preacher. He was talking about the angel of the church that fills a pulpit every week. That reaches for the heart of man. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that the only solution for a sin-sick soul is to come to the house of God and to hear the Word of God and to let the Word of God minister to the heart of who you are. Believe in the power of the church. And we can draw all throughout the Scripture We can draw shadows and parallels of the church that will be purchased. We can see it through the tabernacle in the wilderness. We can see it 
through the building of the temple. We can see it through the neglect of God's children to be faithful to the one true living God. Worshipping idolatry, him lifting from them uh, the veil of protection, lifting the walls from them, and them being destroyed time after time after time after time. It's the story of life. It's the story of mankind. Now, I don't know why 6,000 years of history have not taught us yet the principle that if you turn your back on God, it's a miserable place to be. But for some reason, it hasn't. And the principle that we always find is this. They turn their back against God. Now, don't get offended about my King James language here, okay? They go a-whoring after other gods. So God lifts his hand of protection. When God lifts his hand of protection, they go into exile, whether it be Babylonian, whether it be Greek, whatever it be, they go into exile. And about 70 years in, they were saying, how long is this going to last? And they wished they wouldn't have done what they did. Can I tell you right now, this is the story of every backslider that you'll ever meet that is tender and sensitive enough to be honest. It does not matter what they've done. By the time they get finished, when they see you rejoice in the presence of the Lord, they're saying, man, why did I do this? So let me speak to somebody this morning that feels like you're losing hope over that prodigal today. You keep on worshiping. You keep on loving God. You keep on dancing. You keep on shouting because there's coming a pivotal moment in the story of that soul. They're going to look at the joy that's in your life and realize they left God for a bottle. But the bottle's not doing for them what God is doing for you. Man, I'm telling you. It's dangerous in here this morning. Matthew 16 and 18. Although we can draw parallels throughout all the scripture, 16 and 18 is the first time we see the word church. It's the first time in the scripture that the word ecclesia is used. It is a group of people separated out. To become a movement of people that meet in certain places. In other words, there's something different about an ecclesia than a club. It's a group of called out people. People that are here not because they pay their dues. But because they're in love with something that draws them together. So when people leave the church. Over somebody else and what somebody else has done to them. What they're saying is, I would rather be happy with the man than I would with God. And we hold God accountable for the actions of men. But I want to tell you today that there have been plenty of men in my short life that have let me down. People that I thought was a safe place, that they weren't really a safe place. They're the only people in the world that know what you told them, and three weeks later, somebody else is telling you your story. That ain't a safe place. And it ought not be in the house of God either. I'm, I'm here, so I might as well go on. I'll make you happy in just a minute, okay? Everybody jumps on this train of 
homosexuality and it's an abomination and God hates it. You know, that's not the only thing that he called an abomination in Scripture. I'm not saying it's not an abomination and I'm not saying he doesn't despise the sin. But I'm saying it's not the only abomination that's mentioned in the Scripture. Go do yourself a word study on abomination. You're going to find something beyond men uh, giving over to unnatural affection. What you're going to find is truce breakers. You're going to find a proud spirit. <clears throat> oh, my. I just felt everybody squeeze up. You're going to find backbiters. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying God can't stand a loose cannon. It's an abomination to not be a trustworthy human being. It is an abomination to not be a safe place for somebody to come to you and say, Hey, I am struggling inside and I need somebody to join with me in prayer and help put me back together. Can I tell you something today? And I'm not casting blame. If a man falls, it's of his own accord. How do you know that? Because in Scripture, man, when he is drawn away, he's drawn away of his own lust. That's in the book. But I want to tell you, I believe we would have a lot less failures in the church if people could find a safe place that they could trust somebody and say, I'm struggling and I need you to help me through this. I need somebody that will go to prayer. And I know when I tell you this, it will never be spoken to another living soul. So there's two lessons to be learned here. You need to be a safe place. And the other lesson is if the place you've been investing is not a safe place, then quit investing there. Is this all right? I'm going to say this as kind as I can. I'm going to just throw it out there and let the old lead balloon fall. But you hear me. This will probably stick out like a zipper at a Velcro convention. I want you to hear what I'm telling you right now. Write it down in your book. There are some people that claim to have the Holy Ghost that will never be a safe haven. I don't care if they speak in tongues like a Chinese laundromat. I don't care if they dance and shout every service. One of the men that walked closest to Jesus Christ was willing to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And then had the gall to walk up and kiss him on the cheek. You know what? Jesus was not stupid. He was all God and all man. And he knew fully what Judas was going to do. He called the shot sitting at the table. When he said, the man that dips his hand in the sop with me. As Judas has his hand in the bowl. He said he's going to betray me. Jesus knew it. But when the man walked in and kisses him on the cheek, Jesus looked at him and called him friend. You can be a friend to somebody but not trust them with things that don't need to be known by the whole world. I'm not saying be rude and be uncourteous and unkind to people, but some people will never be a safe place. So you need to find somebody somewhere in the house of God that will be a safe place. I'm not talking about a rumor mill. I'm not talking about you sharing somebody else's burden. I'm talking about us bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Amen.
Well, it's tight. Well, y'all are preaching now. I believe in the church. Man, I was hoping for at least one backflip on that. I said, I believe in the church. Pastor, why do you believe in the church? Do you believe in the church because the word church is mentioned 111 times in the New Testament? Nope. A hundred and eleven times. Is that why you believe in the church? Nope. I believe in the church because the church is where I was born. And the church is where I was born again. And the church is where people have come in my lifetime that weren't born into this church the first time. But when they were born into this church the second time, they immediately received the same inheritance that I had being born into a family that loved God. Look, look, look. I believe in the church because the church gives opportunity to beautiful children that their parents prayed over them every single day. And the church gives opportunity to little children that have never met their own parents. I believe in the church because I've seen some wealthy men that have bowed a knee of repentance and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and gone down in a watery grave of baptism in Jesus' name. But I've also seen the homeless man standing on a street corner raise his hands and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance and we baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to turn off your news affiliates right here for just a minute, okay? Turn off your news right now. You know why I love the church? Not just because it's mentioned 111 times. I love the church for one of the many reasons is the fact that I'm a white man. And I shouldn't be in the church. Whoa. You speak Yiddish. I'm a Goyim. I'm a Gentile. I shouldn't be in the church. Do you know why I love the church? Because his Jewish blood that ran down off that cross and dipped down into the cracks and crevices of the earth is not just so powerful that it'll save a Jew to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Can I tell you one of the reasons why I love the church is it's one of the safe places in the world that the black and the white and the yellow and the brown can come together and we can raise our hand together and we can say, you're my brother. Have we not all one father? Can I tell you this morning, he is the father of all. He has created all and his royal blood makes us family today. I'm I'm glad to be in the church. 
Oh, Lord, I'm so far behind. My family on my dad's side were Cherokee Indians. And there were no Cherokees there on the day of Pentecost that we know of. But I started researching our people. And I say that with all respect. I don't mean our people. I'm saying as in the, the, the genealogy, the bloodline of the Cherokee Indian people. And there's a place, if you've ever traveled over towards Gatlinburg and eased over into the North Carolina side of the mountains, there's a place called Cherokee, North Carolina. You ever heard of it? Not far from there is a place called Cleveland, Tennessee. You heard of that? About 10 to 13 years before what some Pentecostal groups claim to be the resurrection of Pentecost at Azusa, which I just really struggle with that. Because I'm really, I, 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 we don't have much in common with the Azusa Street Revival. They spoke in tongues. That's it. Nobody was baptized in Jesus' name. No, nobody at Topeka, Kansas was baptized in Jesus' name. Everybody on the day of Pentecost, was baptized in Jesus' name. But about 10 to 13 years before Azusa was recorded, and everybody's talking about, oh, hey, the, the Holy Ghost fell, and Pentecost was revived. Pentecost was resurrected. There were, there were some missionaries that came just at the end of the 1800s into the area of Cherokee, North Carolina, to the Cherokee Indian tribes. And when the man walked in, the missionary walked in, he had a cross with him. And one of the chiefs of the tribe, my understanding is, he looked at the, the man and, and, in broken English. He said to him, we recognize the cross. And he said, how do you recognize the cross? And he took him to the earth and he began to dig out Bishop Stones that over time, I wish I was so bad I would have had pictures for you today, that over time had been pressed out in the earth in the shape of a cross. And I begin to share the story that from coast to coast in the United States of America, as you go across the United States, this rock that's in the earth is very small, and it's in the shape of a cross. And there are five different color tones, depending on the mineral substance of where it's found in the United States. There are only five primary different tones of skin in the human race, so to speak. And every color of skin, if you would, if I could use that loosely, is found in the color of the cross-shaped stones in the earth. At which point these Indians believed that the cross is not just for the brown man. And so this missionary began to talk to them. And Bishop Bingham, I was surprised to find out that way before Azusa Street, these Cherokee Indians invited this man to come in to their service at the river. And they took him down to this little building and he said, these Indian people 
began to dance, but he said it was different. He said they began to sing and they began to dance. And he said all of a sudden they began to speak in a language that was not the Cherokee tongue. He said they walked those uh, people down into the river by Cleveland, Tennessee, and they began to baptize them. Can I tell you right now that this church has never had to be resurrected? It's always been alive. God has always had a people. Do you all believe in miracles? Come on now, how many of you really believe in miracles? Because it's going to be a miracle if I'm done in eight minutes. Everybody okay? I'll get you turned loose to your keto toast in just a minute. I don't just believe in the church because the church has been good to me. This church has been good to my family. Now, this assembly has been amazing to my family. But I'm talking about the church at large. The church has been good to my family. I could go in any state of America, any state, and find somebody that loves my family. I'm telling you the truth. It's been good to me. I was delivering an airplane a few weeks ago, just, just before Christmas, a week before Christmas, with my friend brother Allard from California we were delivering a, a, a airplane from Florida out west the first night we took off out of out of Florida and we shot up uh, across the ed- edge of Florida kind of the panhandle there and went out Pensacola and Tallahassee and I said brother so-and-so pastors right over there he said well how do you know him I said well I preached for him years ago Busted over into Alabama, and I said, yeah, Brother So-and-So's church is just, if you take that highway right there that you see, I said, you take that highway up, the Brother So-and-So's church is right up there. How do you know him? I said, well, my dad preached for him. I said, you ever, you ever heard of the uh, singing Sullivan's? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, they're just a few miles from right here, right, just right up there. Well, how in the world do you know them? Well, they used to come to our church every year. We got over there and crossed over into Louisiana. I said, don't even try. It was getting dark. And on the horizons, I saw the lights of West Monroe. And I said, about as far as you can see that light shine, there's 749 churches, and I know every pastor. Not really. I said, uh, right up, right out here, off this highway, right here, coming out this side of town, one of my dearest friends, pastors. He said, Well, how do you know him? Well, I preach for him all the time. So finally, <laughs> this sounds funny. I, I, I thought it was humorous. Some people are a little soft. He said, My God, where haven't you preached? Well, 
There's a few places I haven't, but I plan on getting it done. And I want to tell you, I love the church because the church has been good to me. But that's not the only reason that I love the church. I want to help somebody here. You got, you got five minutes? Are, hey, if you're bored, Lauren, hey, if you're bored, if you're bored, I'll, I'll get you out of here. Don't, don't be hating on me. I, I can't afford for nobody to be hating on me. If you're, if you're getting hangry, please do us all a favor and get up and leave. I'm hurrying. To all of our guests, I'm sorry. I'd usually have you out of here by now. Matthew chapter 27 and 58, our Lord and Savior has been crucified. And the Bible said that there was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. The King James Version, Brother Gill, said that he begged the body of Jesus. Another translation of this in, in Mark, I believe it is, says he craved the body of Jesus. Everybody read that? He's craved this word begged and craved the body of Jesus is so powerful because it shows a, a, a great depth of intense desire. He craved the body of Jesus. He comes to Pilate and literally begs for the body. And as the story goes, we find out that he has craved the body of the Lord for a reason. He takes the body of the Lord down that is lifeless. No spirit in him. Can I say it like this? There was no God in him. He had given up the ghost. It was gone. God was gone out of his body. And he takes the body that is spiritless and lifeless. This man that has walked for three and a half years, healing the blind, raising the dead, healing the sick, setting the captive free, casting out devils, now is lifeless. And Joseph takes the body of Christ. Stay with me in my wording right here. He takes the body of Christ and begins to minister to a body that cannot minister to him in return. God was gone out of the body. He was not ministering to Jesus' body because Jesus could minister to him. The body of Christ was not about what he was getting ready to receive. It was about what he was getting ready to give. And he said the body of Christ was just wounded for my transgression and bruised for my iniquity. And so now I want to minister to the body that cannot even minister to me right now. Some of us only love the body of Christ and the church for the way that it ministers to us. But I love the body because it's a place that I can minister to. I 
am thankful for the times that this church has ministered to me and for you precious people that minister to my soul. But I am so thankful for the times that you could not even lift your own head. And I've watched the body of Christ come around you and minister to you. And you ministered to them. It was not about what you were receiving. It's about the body. Safe place. I must hurry to a close, and I am. I believe it was last Sunday that I began very, very briefly to mention doctrines of predestination, which are damnable doctrines. But there is. One portion of predestinational doctrine that I absolutely 150 gazillion percent believe in. And it is found in the reading of our text this morning in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And the reason that it is predestined is because of who owns it and who it belongs to. He said... I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this sand, come on somebody, Woo! it makes a whole lot more sense when you hear him tell the parable of the wise and the foolish man, because he had a plan on doing some building, and he said the foolish man built his house on the sand, but when the floods came. The house could not stand. He said, but a wise man will always build his house on the rock so that when the storm comes and the floods rise, that the house will still stand. That's why Jesus said, upon this rock, it's going to stand when the storms come, when the floods rage. It doesn't matter what comes against the church. It's going to stand because it's built on a rock. And this is what he said. Upon this rock, music, you can come if you want to. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And here comes the only predestination I believe in. You ready? And the gates... Of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church. Not a church. The church. The church of the living God that is mentioned over 50 times alone in the book of Acts. The church. And God added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church, the church, the church. God added to the church. The Lord said, that church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if you're going through a rough season this morning and you feel like all hell is fighting you, I want to tell you that the safest place to be is in the church. Because if you're in the church triumphant, the Lord said the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. If you want a safe place, you got to get in the church. You got to stay in the church. You got to stay with the church. You got to fall in love with the church. Get in. 
I can have a relationship with God without a church. Yeah, you can. But the Bible said you can't be saved without a preacher. You know what? I'm, I've come to tell somebody this morning. The reason why I love the church. Another reason why I love the church is because it's so easy to get access. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter if you served half your life in prison, half your life on skid row, or give all of your life and don't have much left. I want to tell you an awesome secret this morning. All you got to do is repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You realize the people that Peter was preaching that to, by all rights, they were holy people. They were the devout Jews that had made the journey for the Feast of Pentecost. They were there in observance. They were there because they loved the Lord. And what Peter said to them on Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is what you've done so far has been wonderful. But let me tell you about this Christ that that God has raised up and made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus that you crucified, he was crucified for you. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said what shall we do then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost I believe I'd get in the church in closing today I want to tell you sometimes when people Start fighting hell in their life. They leave the church. I don't understand that. You go through a dark season where the enemy's been fighting you. And you walk out of the church. Hear this preacher this morning. Don't, law, don't leave the church. Don't walk out on the church. It's the only safe place. The enemy's going to fight you. And he's going to try to prevail against you. But the Lord said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Does she have problems? Oh, yeah, because she has people. Are there ever struggles? Oh, Lord, yeah, because there's people. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Get on in the church and stay in the church.